Chapter Fourteen of Lift Luck on Southern Roads by Tickner Edwards. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Porton. I came at length into Porton at the foot of a long, well wooded hill. It was a mild, vacuous place, dominated by a railway station and had the air of being little more than a siding on the great iron road of life itself i should have passed through it without a stoppage but catching sight of a little tea-house i changed my mind and went in two tranquil old ladies were sitting before the fire in the common room they looked round as the door-bell jingled on my entry and regarded me with mild astonishment at last it seemed to occur to one of them that a customer had arrived she put away her needlework with a sigh and came towards me the mention of tea called up in her a patient almost reproachful look she considered the matter for a moment but in the end resigned herself to the inevitable and motioned me to a seat i had hardly been served and the old ladies settled down to their needlework again when the door burst violently open the bell went into paroxysms of excitement and a stout square man came in like a gale of wind he was fair sun-browned had an eye like a bit of blue steel and a voice like a whip-crack he threw a traveller's sample-case down on the table and looked about him smiling peremptorily as though he had caught us all in a breach of the peace what sort of tea do you give here the words rapped out and their effect on the knitting party round the stove was instantaneous if he had fired a gun into the chimney-corner it could hardly have caused greater commotion there one old lady was bustling about him in a moment the other frantically stirred the fire to hurry on the kettle the cat got under the sofa a little girl darted out of a back room and fell to spreading a tablecloth the traveller stood in the midst of it all still smiling and wiping his forehead as though he were swabbing the deck of a ship presently his roving stiletto of an eye fell on the map i was studying he plumped himself down in a chair at my side touring eh said he good we're in the same boat you for pleasure and i for business tell me all about it where did you come from where are ye bound to now he squared his elbows on the table and knitted his brows over the map it was all done with such breezy easy goodwill and such a show of genuine interest as to preclude all possibility of offence going into hampshire ah i see stockbridge no rumsey then what no towns at all just through the villages well now i'll tell ye what to do he rattled on through a long itinerary eating and talking and following the suggested route with two forefingers at once 
his sharp short phrases went off in my ears like quick revolver fire indeed his whole manner was nothing but a succession of explosions everything he said and did was done at the same high pressure he seemed to have no half moods he must go off with the same loud report whether it were to kill an elephant or a gnat even when the little girl brought out a missionary box and stood smiling before us the same quality manifested itself my own penny sidled diffidently into the slot and reached the bottom with the merest chink but his penny fell with the clang of a roman discus god bless the work he cried in a voice that detached flakes of whitewash from the ceiling keep it going my dear twill all be written up for you in the great ledger above he patted the child's head nearly braining her in his enthusiasm and flung back in his seat but he was up again next moment ah there's my train coming good day all glad to have met you sir out of the way pussy and he was gone as precipitately as he came when the doorbell had got over its second bad attack of kentish fire and the old ladies were comfortably settled to their knitting again i ventured to take my own modest departure the weather had again cleared it was nigh sunset and the sky was suffused with a beautiful rose-red light there was a tingle in the keen air but the northeast wind was dropping fast in the highest treetops it still held forth plaintively but below there had fallen a dead calm i went on through the village until i came to a signpost at the junction of several roads and then pulled up indecisively drawing out my knife i threw it into the air it came down with the blade pointing to the right for an hour perhaps the lane led me onward i neither knowing nor greatly caring whither i went for as much of it as i could see in the gathering darkness the country seemed pretty undulating farmland with fine trees and well-grown hedgerows but i had fallen upon an introspective browsing mood and went along taking little note of outside things at last when night had completely shut down and the moon was riding high in the clear calm heaven i came out upon a hilltop whence the road wound down over fairly open country and here my wandering gait was arrested by an unusual spectacle at half a dozen widely separated points in the greenish-grey obscurity below me fires were kindling there was one at the foot of the hill quite close i could see the long red tongues of flame shooting up amidst the trees and as i looked another and another fire broke out at various distances while the lurid streak of a rocket sped up among the stars of the horizon and established a momentary rivalry there in red and blue and green and now i remembered 
though all day long i had not given it a thought it was the fifth of november i mended my pace and soon reached the village at the bottom of the hill the bonfire here proved to be a mammoth affair it had been built on a clear space within a ring of cottages and the shadows of the spectators on the house fronts looked like a war dance of giants i wondered now that i had heard no sound of the revelry long before i had seen the fires all the available population for miles round must have been there so dense was the throng of people and obviously all had come with the full intention of enjoying themselves a madcap spirit of frolic pervaded the entire crowd young and old had their pockets stuffed out with fireworks and squibs and crackers hurtled continuously through the air the guy on his pole in the midst of the fire was a target for every kind and colour of pyrotechnic missile one man had a huge bundle of shavings on a pitchfork and holding it blazing aloft was rushing about through the crowd at the head of a wild game of follow my leader boys and men were shouting dogs barking women and girls screaming to their delighted heart's content sparks flew about everywhere amid an atmosphere of descending soot on my first appearance i had to stop with my bare hands a flaming blue bullet from a roman candle which was instantly levelled at me and the next moment i was ducking under a steady downpour of golden rain i stood my ground for a while but being unprovided with ammunition and therefore at a disadvantage in the game i withdrew presently to the shelter of a wall a little way off where i was able to look on comparatively unmolested it was a fascinating sight a perfect bit of unspoiled rural england after that night i am inclined to rank guy fawkes with father christmas santa claus and jack in the green as a prime benefactor of the race although all four merrymakers are rapidly passing through desuetude into oblivion but in the wiltshire village at any rate there was no slackening of popular interest at least in the matter of gunpowder treason i stayed there held by the flare and sparkle of the scene the whirligig of moving people and listening to the babel of voices the incessant reports the crackling roar of the fire until the end of the festivities when it was well past nine o'clock even then when all the fireworks were spent the fire burnt down to a hillock of glowing embers and most of the people gone to their beds i could not prevail on myself to go i wandered about the empty green with its litter of firework cases smoking a moralizing pipe in the strange new silence and in fancy re-enacting the whole joyous business it was only after i had taken several quiet turns in this way 
that i became conscious of someone else doing identically the same thing i paused with my back to the fire and watched the strolling figure it was that of a man in a tweed knickerbocker suit much like my own he had his hands deep in his breeches pockets and a briar pipe in his mouth as had i he took ruminative strides short and long alternately stopping to look about him at every half dozen steps or so with a laugh i realized that i had been doing exactly the same thing a moment before he drew nearer i watched him still then in the mingled sheen of fire and moonlight we came face to face looked at each other started back simultaneously good heavens cried he i thought it was my own self man alive said i at the same instant surely there isn't room in the world for two of us joking apart though you are ridiculously like me that's unfortunate i replied somewhat nettled why ridiculously you're no great beauty yourself now i come to think of it he laughed we laughed together after a little more talk we resumed our interrupted perambulations this time side by side we were soon on cordial terms i fear said he you will get no accommodation this side of salisbury and that is miles away but if you do not object to sleeping in a lonely old house and can put up with myself as sole company i can easily find you a bed he made the offer with such frank kindness that i was more than glad to accept it and together we turned our backs on the now slumbering village we walked perhaps for half an hour then took to a woodland path finally coming out on the open downs skirting a long dark belt of pines for some distance farther at length we stopped in front of an old thatched house whose windows were all dark save one whence came the flickering glow of a fire the door stood partly open my companion led the way in i live here quite alone and have done for many years past he said so you must resign yourself to very primitive housecraft ah here's the candle now just get into this chair before the fire while i see if i can furbish up some supper the room in which he left me was an extraordinarily cosy one a great wood fire hissed and crackled in the wide old-fashioned grate everywhere the furniture and fittings gave evidence of good taste and ample means of gratifying it the oak-panelled walls were hung with pictures old china here and there a fine piece of tapestry some old pewter ware bearing the elizabethan e r innumerable odds and ends picked up evidently in many lands but there was another aspect of the room which now riveted my curiosity my new friend had said that he lived here alone 
but no one with eyes in his head could stand in the room and not become at once aware of the unmistakably feminine influence which pervaded it the vases of fresh flowers the knick-knacks that only a woman could have contrived or even thought of the sewing-machine by the window and the tambour frame with the embroidery unfinished upon it were all silent indications of this influence even if there had been nothing else but upon the table lay a work-box open and sprawling half its contents on the cloth as though its owner had just left it a recess whose curtain was partly drawn showed outdoor apparel obviously feminine and within the copper fender a pair of dainty slippers were warming slippers with high french heels and spangled rosettes from my seat by the fire all these things were easily inevitably visible to the most incurious eye i could avoid seeing them no more than i could help certain speculations regarding them but i had little time for this my host returned bringing one after another the materials for a substantial meal these however he did not place on the large table the meal was spread on a smaller table much to our inconvenience as there was not room upon it and some of the things had to be consigned to the floor under the strong light of the lamp which was his final requisition the likeness that had first seemed so remarkable between us weakened i thought considerably he was an older man than i by perhaps ten years his face paler and prematurely lined he proved a brilliant talker but his sallies were interspersed with odd periods of silence during which i could get from him not a word he grew however more familiar and confidential as the meal progressed long after it was over we sat by the fire and these dumb periods of his i was glad to note became less frequent finally disappearing altogether thence onward until far into the small hours of the morning he kept me enthralled by his talk but it was not until we stood at the foot of the stairs together bedroom candles in hand that he gave me a clue to what against all my resolutions had persistently kept uppermost in my mind instead of barring the house door he left it ajar as we had found it and instead of extinguishing the lamp in the living-room he turned it low merely and put more logs on the fire then he came and looked me quietly steadily in the eyes do you know what hope is he asked after a silence he was a keen beggar that poet who said it springs eternal in human breasts for i should know the truth of that after all these years hope and love if there had been any quenching of them i should have been dust and ashes long ago he stopped an odd sort of rattle sounded in his throat 
the hard lines at the corners of his mouth deepened he came closer to me tremulously whispering it must seem strange to you but but every night i leave the room like that just as it always used to be and every night i leave the door open so i have left them for years so it may be for god knows how much longer yet who can tell hope and love and and full forgiveness waiting he broke off suddenly almost fiercely ah what a fool i am let's go to bed End of chapter 14